On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, we review the past week's trades. We have this week in the market. Hugh speaks to the TRCH Bears. We follow up the Algo Swap. And we also have on Andrew Dudham, CEO of Four Hams and For Hers. Strap in. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies, and then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4% fucking percent. by the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about IDEX? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a lot more money than me on my trade. You find out, likes this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. And they out there making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting their work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Time to think big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity at Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. This episode of Pennies Going In Raw is brought to you by Benzinga. We use Benzinga every day when we trade. It has the very best stock screener, news feed, stock charts, and much more. Try it out for free at pro.benzinga.com. That's pro.benzinga.com for all of your stock market needs. And make sure to check out their YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Benzinga, where they live stream stock market news and just what's happening every day. They have the coolest guests, including yours truly and Hugh Henney. We go on every single week and y'all got to check it out. Great stuff there every single day. That's youtube.com forward slash Benzinga. Welcome back to another episode of Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Sunday, February the 21st, and I think the market wants to take back some people's gains, especially on swings. Yeah, I mean, we've seen how many weeks of just straight, the market just been on straight steroids. When we were approaching 400, we knew that we had to have some kind of a pullback. And think about this. (laughs) we've only had like a 4% pullback. It's really nothing crazy. We're just not used to it because we, the market's just been on steroids. This is like, it's like not even 1%. I think what it hit like 392, 393, 394. I mean, it's just chilling at 390. So I mean, it's only down like $4. Yeah. Well, I mean, like what I'm saying is that like the range that we've seen intraday is 4%. So like we were up 1%. Ah, Okay. Yeah. That, that I should have been more clear, but yeah, we're we're seeing, I mean, that's not a crazy range. You know, I had gotten a few texts from a few friends and I'm like, guys, this is kind of like a normal market. And this is probably what we're going to see more of is that not necessarily the market going up 2,000, 3,000 points, but, you know, we're going to probably start to go back to where the market moves to 300, 400 points, which, which is still, you know, three years ago was a major move, 400 points. And we were like, wow, like the market really ripped today. You know, now anything underneath that thousand point move and we're, and we're like, wow, like the market really sucks today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the standard totally changes. I was watching like yeah. a, uh, like a mad money from, uh, I can't remember when exactly it was, maybe it was 2016, but the market dropped like 7%. And just looking at the point differential as to what it was today is like just a, is just like a regular hour now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it is It is crazy how cracked up this market's been. But I mean, that, that's why we always say, you know, take advantage of what's in front of you, trade what's in front of you. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely interesting to see. But this specifically this past week, the sectors were a little wonky. You had like, what did you kind of think about last week? Yeah. So aside from just the overall market. Yeah. I mean, I think that we needed a breather. And here's the thing is that and we talk about this with uh, Nate Mashad <laughs> with Nate and uh, and there's always a day, someone who's always moving the market a little bit. And so when everyone was screaming for us to go through 400, now you see a little bit of, you know, they start to dance with the market. Now, I do think that this is a viable, can we even call this a dip? Yeah. I mean, can we, can we really call this a dip now? It's, it's just not on the, uh, the vertical trend line anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, me personally, the way that I like to think about it is that especially in a time when the overall market is looking shaky, is that I like to think of it like they're going to pull it back just enough to scare people. um, And then they just slingshot it back through the 400s. And then then we probably go straight to 450. Uh, I mean, which is that's incredible to, to, to just be able to say that, um, because I remember when the when spy was at like 230, I was like, wow. If it gets to 300 by the time that, you know, I, I'm 30, like that'll be like, you know, something incredible. And now we're talking about 400. Um, so I think that we will start to see more volatility as we start to get out of Corona. Um, I do think that we, you know, I mean, now that the numbers are starting to lower, the, if the Fed starts to, you know, do less buying and, uh, and and just the overall, you know, it comes down to simple supply and demand. Uh, you know, we were seeing so much demand and not enough supply. So that's what was making everything go vertical. But there is always a point to where investors say to themselves, okay, this is too pricey. And so that's when some of the demand goes away. And, uh, you know, kind of on like a stock, when a stock goes parabolic, and all of a sudden shares start to be sold in, sold in, sold in, there can be a lot of supply that is just dumped on the market, hence like a 8% pullback in, in like, you know, let's call it like a week. So I do think that's a viable dip. But something that we have to be ready for is that, you know, we've gotten really used to a market on steroids, on steroids, on steroids. And so any volatility that we see, especially the newer traders inside the last year, you know, now you're getting comfortable because you feel like you've been in it for a year, but we will start to see volatility. And something I said inside Atlas this week was my swings for the first like three years that I traded or, or, you know, was profitable. I used to be red on my swings until news came. Now my DMs are getting blown up because we're only up like 12%. I'm like, guys, this is, I remember you, I remember I was red on like three of my plays, like 20% most of the time. So I think that we should be ready for some volatility, especially if you're a newer trader. Yeah. And I think before we kind of follow up the algo swap, maybe to ease some minds of some of these SPAC holders, it's one of those things, these are longer term holds. We've been saying it. But at the same time, if they're wrapping up too much of your capital, that is when you actually need to think about, hey, what am I going to do about this? Although mine weren't wrapping up too much capital, I just figured it'd be better to get some options further out and trim some of them just because there's so much other things going on. SPACs just aren't like the hot thing right now. Yeah. So I don't know. It's definitely... um a lot of these newer investors, I think, or newer traders are seeing these and uh, just they I don't know. They just like think if I sell it now and they probably had the same thought last Friday and last Friday, <laughs> you know, maybe I should just cut it. Uh, no. OK, I'm not going to cut it. It's finally going to yeah. reverse. And yeah. then 
the the next Friday they're like, shit, dude, why didn't I just listen to myself last Friday? Yeah. And then it's just an ongoing cycle until you were down 50%. You're just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I ran into this when I was, you know, new as well. And uh and we talked about this inside the bag holding episode, but maybe, maybe, you know, that's something that we should really start to talk. Maybe that's something that we go into in our future episode is like, you know, kind of a part two. But I just want you guys to think about this. Okay. Why? Ask yourself why. And it doesn't matter what you're going to ask yourself. Just ask yourself why. So for instance, it can't go down anymore. Why not? (laughs) Why not? Why can't it go down? Is the price zero? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And here's the other thing is that, or even like, you know, penny stocks, you know, if you're trading a 40 cent penny stock and you're like, oh, my downside's nothing. But guess what? It's only 20 cents away from being down 50%. So I think that it's really important to think about your why. Are you gambling right now? Are you hoping that it goes back up or do you have a reason? Because I'll tell you right now, if you don't have a reason, I can almost guarantee you're going to bag hold. Do you have a catalyst that you can hang your hat on? You know, something like XYZ is going to be acquired by Amazon. You know, if you don't have definitive evidence, then then why are you holding this stock? You know, or if you're down 30% and the chart is just looks ugly and there, you can just see the amount of selling and there's almost no buying pressure. Why are you holding this? (laughs) You know, if, if it's 30% of your portfolio, why? Oh, because it because it could be. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be like the could be. I mean, if you want us to get real specific about it, like UWMC is like yeah. approaching seven dollars. And wow. if you yeah. ask yourself why, and you say, "Well, it's such a good mortgage company. It wants to be number one." Yeah. I listened to this interview, and it sounded good. Whatever it may be, yeah, and that influenced you to buy it. If those are your reasons. Well, you need a time frame on that. If they're just saying, hey, if you like them as a good mortgage company, then it, you're not, why are you bitching that the price is down if it's a longer term yeah. thing? You like the core of the company. You want, you want it to go down. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, I'm not, we're not trying to get out and say, because we've been getting a lot of people bitching about like CEOs we interview and they're like, hey, why'd you even interview them? Because that's what we do. Try to get their word out, you know? Yeah, and or try and get their word out, or or if we think it's a crappy company, we're gonna come out and say it. You know, UWMC. I'll be honest, okay, and we're gonna get a lot of hate for this. I hope this thing just tanks because you know why? I love this company. Their revenue is ridiculous compared to their competitors. Their margins are insane. They're off the books. It, it, this is just a company that needs more time to grow okay they're not i don't know how to how to better explain it other if than, i can get if i can get uh shares of the second best mortgage company and the number yeah. one wholesale lending company for five dollars you bet like oh hell I, i'll double like my roth will be just all that <laughs> exactly and and like this is this is part of my my issue with newer traders and and this is part of the reason we started the podcast is because everybody always has the same questions and a lot of the times the same problems and one of those problems is you know your account and how much you know you're putting into everything you know if you if you want maximum growth then you have to understand that you're also giving up maximum risk so I did an account challenge just around this time last year, took it from 50,000 to a million. And what happened, I I was going for maximum growth, but at the same time, I understood I needed to follow a specific process 
And if that process did not meet every standard, I was not buying that company. And that time, and the timeline of it is such a yep. big part of your matrix, especially yep, exactly. if you're going for max profit in a short amount of time. Exactly. I think like a lot of these newer guys are missing this whole catalyst thing because it's just like, well, everything's going up, you know? Yeah. And then you have to also take into sell the news and it's not just, oh, there's a catalyst and there's yeah. the run up. And, you know, there's so much more to this uh, that I feel like, damn, I don't want to have to like rehit the basics all again. But no, I mean, I honestly know. think that that might be a good idea. And, and I want you guys to hear me and you're going to hear this from PGIR uh, in your sleep. but. This market is on steroids, on steroids, on steroids. This is not a normal market, okay? And, and one of the bigger things is that take your account P&L off the screen. Take it off. Because I remember when I was, when I would make 300% on a stock, but it would only be $400. I'd be like, $400? What? Like, I want like 40 grand. And But I wasn't realizing that a 300% move is insane. Apple's never going to do that in a week. Apple, Apple, Apple's not going to do that in a year. Um, actually, let me take that back because well, Apple will now, uh, <laughs> now Apple will triple to like a $5 trillion company. But my point is that things that we trade are super high risk and super high reward. And that's something that, you know, you, everybody wants to take a thousand dollars and turn it into a million, but they never want to take the years that it takes to get there. It, one of the things that I think it's good to bring up now, we go to college, or at least I did. I paid about $120,000 to go to college. My starting salary would be around 50,000. And now you would think that you would go to college to get the knowledge you need to come out to your job. But instead, you're getting you're going to college to come out to start at the entry level position to learn about the job. So you would rather pay 120,000 to come out and be at the bottom of the list of the job to learn the job. Well, guess what? The market is the same way, just different. Market tuition. You come to the market, you have to pay to learn, and by paying to learn is that, you know, you might get lucky here and there, but to learn you have to actually do it, which means that you probably are going to lose. And that's where your market tuition comes in. And I think that's really important because in this market, it feels like everybody and their mother has just opened up an account and instantly quadrupled it. And that's not real. That's not a real market. Yeah. And, it, and it's not only that. And it's, you know, stop comparing your gains to other people. I mean, if I compare, if anyone compares their gains to Zach's gains, you are now, you are now a villager. You live, <laughs> you are fodder. You were at the bottom of the, your pond scum. You're nothing, right? Yeah. It's almost like you're at a casino and you're, and you're just playing these, you know, $1, bow, 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 bow. And then someone next to you hits the, hits the jackpot. I mean, you can't compare yourself to that. What do you got to do? Just keep playing until you hit the jackpot? Mathematically, that's not a very good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing is that while we're on the topic of Zach, just because he has X amount of money into something, you can't say, okay, Zach has, you know, a million dollars in this stock. I have to go all in. Yeah. Well, guess what? His million dollars is not a hundred percent of his account. You know, so even though it looks like a larger percent, it's, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's really important is that just because he you know, makes oh, 200% on SNDL or X amount of money does not mean that you are. And, and you guys, if you guys want to be inside this game for the long term, you need 
to create a strategy and a process that can work in any market. Right now, I'll be honest, right now, I, I'm not feeling like I'm trading my best. And that's because this isn't my kind of market. I can't, I physically cannot buy something up 200% on the day. I'm not a day trader. I cannot feel comfortable buying up something up 200%. Stonks only go up, baby. (laughs) I know, I know. And I'm seeing, you know, I mean, it's awesome to see, but I'm seeing my friends who, you know, I mean, I, I literally got a text from a kid in high school that said, dude, like, no wonder you do well for yourself, man. Like, if I started this shit seven years ago, fuck, I'd be a billionaire. And I was like, oh, time to open up a beer. There, that, Top. Yeah, 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 exactly. That that just completely undermined the seven years of, like, hard work that I put in in one text and uh, and you got this kid. So, and, and the thing is that we said it on GME is that there will people that get slaughtered. That people will get slaughtered when when the tide turns, and we talk about it. Investors Live will talk about it, but the backside of the trade comes so much faster, and we mean that with your account too. So everybody, if you if you're throwing tons of money at the market right now on day trades and and stuff like that, and and you feel like you have a process, that's perfect. But something that I talk about is the bus stop is. I'd rather get off two bus stops late than one bus stop early. And I think that that's a good analogy. And I also think Dan's analogy is not your analogy. It's one bus stop too late than three stops too early, not two stops too late and one stop too early. No, that means you'd rather get off early in this situation. Oh, no, you messed it up completely. Oh, did I? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at my apartments. I don't have like my posters and notes everywhere. I would rather get off the bus stop one stop too late then two stops too early. And I think that this is a perfect market for that analogy. And, and what I mean by that is that, okay, if you can triple your account, um, but then the second that the tide turns, take a 10% account hit, but then be done with it, perfect. But the other analogy I like is Dan's analogy. And that is party near the door. And that's another thing. I think that those two analogies really embody what we're trying to say here with this market. This market is so crazy. And and I know I sound like a broken record, but there will people that get slaughtered. So if you are just completely, if you're embracing the chase and you are just chasing things up 200% and you're buying every and any dip and you, and your strategy is just stonks only go up. Great. Good. You know, you're tripling your account. You're, you're probably up a thousand percent this year and that's fantastic. But you have to understand that the second that the tide turns and you start to take a 10 20% hit on the portfolio, you have to be done because we've seen this on much smaller scales. You know, you 5X your, your account and then in four days you're down 80%. And and now you're, now you're below what you started with. And I think that that's something that we're just going to, going to continue to talk about because I feel like no one's paying market tuition, maybe just me. Um, (laughs) I don't know. It's like they're getting in advance for their market tuition. They're getting like yeah. a loan for it right now. The market's like, hey, you know, here's some sco- – it's giving out scholarships. The market is giving yeah. out scholarships right now to people that bank off of chasing. And, hey, you love to see it. Yeah, you got to keep that scholarship though. Remember that. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you fall below that uh, 3.0 GPA, that bitch is gone. <laughs> okay, so do you want to speak to the TRCH bears or oh do you want to yes. talk about seeing the algo swap now? It's up no, to you. No, no. Let Let's go pay. into TC- TRCH. Uh, yes, let us. Do you want me to give my DDF down on it? Yeah, please. Uh, name is name's pretty cool. I think like Torchlight, like that's really <laughs> badass. <laughs> is that, that's the DD? 
Yeah, no. I, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's like tor- torch light. Oh, and like if it ever goes up a lot, you can use uh, like the Incredible Four or, you know, the, <laughs> the Incredible and do like the flame on GIF. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I got. Yeah. No, this has been, this has literally been keeping me up. And I, this week has been, the beginning of the week was awesome. And then the end of the week has been such a headache. I have gotten tons, hot thousands of DMs. And, and I answered a majority of them. And, you know, I've been getting added in tons of tweets. You know, part of the reason that we've seen the, the sharp decline in the last few days is three things. One, the market. Two, that bullshit piece of bear work. That fucking dumbass seeking alpha writer. Did, did he have his two-year-old son write it? That was embarrassing. The guy took my tweets. Hell, I found my own uh, spelling error in the Seeking Alpha article. He took my DD and then he, he, he took my DD, basically tried to turn it, spin it inside a bad light, and they slapped a terrible headline on it. He doesn't, he, I, I don't even, I, I am so worked up about that piece of shit Seeking Alpha article. The guy, I, the guy has never made a dollar in his life. You know, and I'm not going to touch too much on the Seeking Alpha article because... Let's put him and Gary in a ring. Oh my, dude, Gary would maul him with his eyes. Um, it, the, the Seeking Alpha article, in my opinion, you know, they don't have a position one way or the other. So what I look at it as, okay, they knew that everyone was super bullish. So what do they do? They come out with a bear, uh, a bear report. And, um, and what that bear report does is, is that it gets more eyes on him and he gets, you know, I worked for seeking alpha for, for multiple years and the amount of clicks that you get on the article, you get money. So I was making like a thousand dollars back in the day. So all he's trying to do is get people, it's clickbait. He's trying to get people to click on it, to read the article because then he's just getting paid for it, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe 10th of the people follow him. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. And he can come out and say, oh, you know, this was at $4. Now it's at three. Yeah. Well, well guess what? It was at one fifty, like two weeks ago. Um, so as far as seeking alpha goes, that guy's a fucking loser. Um, you know, listen, if uh, I'm putting this out there to, to white diamond, white diamond, if you want to come on the, on the show, I will, we will allow you to come on the show and I will live debate it with you, but you can't have your notes up in front of you. That's going to be the, uh, you know, I know this company like back my hand. If you didn't take your, my DD, then, uh, then that's fine. And you can come on the show and we can debate it. Now talking about Torchlight and Meta, you know, I saw a lot of people at me saying that, you know, cause one of the things I talked about was I felt that Torchlight's market cap was super low and yeah. Okay. Now, now, the, now it's doubled. <laughs> now it's effectively doubled since I was talking about it but I still feel like it's super low. Okay. I was getting a lot of shit because people feel like the current valuation is standard and that's fine. But guess what? We're in a market where things are trading at 50 times revenue. We're seeing a thousand times PE. And those are just for companies that just do one thing. TRCH is merging with Meta. Meta has tens of billions of potential market and someone, and I'm, and I have a list of tweets up in front of me. One guy said, um, you know, this should be a red flag because they're not focusing on one thing. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They're in 13 emerging markets. If, if any of you guys know who Tata Incorporated is, they run Tata Motors. They run Tata Glass. They, they have an EV company. They, they do everything. They have like 30 different companies underneath Tata. Could you imagine if they just focused on cars? So 
I, I don't know why I, I'm not even going to give validity to that, but you know, Meta is doing a bunch of different things. They have tens of billions of potential revenue. And here's the, here's the better thing is that this isn't five years out. This is two years out. So based on the current valuation, sure. Okay, fine. But things are trading at a thousand PE. So yeah, the valuation is still undervalued. Nothing is trading at value. You know, I saw another tweet that said, investing is math. That's not true. Tesla bears are down like 90 billion because they thought that investing is math. Things are trading at 50, 50 times revenue, a thousand PE, you know, and this is an emerging markets. This is a growth company. Then I saw another thing. And one of the things that, whew, that has been blowing my, uh, blowing my DMs up is, uh, why don't I buy meta? Okay. Now this is a personal thing. So I I've talked about it before, but I do not trade over the counter or non us equities. I don't do it. Okay. When I was a, a young buck, Hugh, I uh, I would trade OTCs and I had gone all in on this. I think it was ECCI. I think that's what the ticker was. And I went all in and it went from like five cents. And I was like, oh, what's my risk? Five cents? No, no, no. It went from 0.005 to 0.00001. And I'd lost everything inside that account. You know, it wasn't terrible, but everything inside that account I had lost. And I had to stare at that for two years because one of the things is that there's no buyers, obviously. So when there's no buyers, you know, it just sits inside your account. And then you can do this thing called with, you know, at the time it was with TD and TD could do this thing where they just try and sell the shares to anybody that will take it for like, maybe like, you know, a third of a third of a third of a cent. And, uh, that, and that didn't work for two years. And then it finally did work and I was able to get rid of the shares. But after that day, I vowed that I would never, ever touch OTCs or non-US equities. Okay, that's a personal thing. If you guys see value in meta, that's great. I just won't touch over-the-counter. So that's my... Amazon could go over-the-counter, mom, from some bullshit, like, you know, some flash crash or something, you know, some crazy scandal or something, and I wouldn't touch it. Um... So I don't touch over-the-counters. I don't touch non-US equities. And the other reason I see value in TRCH was that when the market cap was was at 160, 170, the market cap was almost nothing. They're going to own 25% of what Meta does. Something else is that, you know, we talked about the special dividend. Okay. And, and I said this before, but, you know, if they only get, even if they get 10%, you know, any special dividend is still better than nothing, in my opinion. And it's still a reason that some investors will hold. I saw like a bunch of people like, you know, uh, or, you know, part of the Seeking Alpha article was that um, they'll get nothing for their assets. Okay, sell them for, for 10 cents on the dollar. I don't care. You know, that's still, that still gives investors a reason to hold. That, that's part of the other thing is that, you know, investors hold, it comes down to supply and demand. There's not enough shares, you know, there's not enough supply, too much demand. It's, it's up, you know, it's still trading up and the chart looks good. You know, if we start to curl, and the other thing that I wanted to touch on to summarize is that, okay, I don't touch over the counters, so I'm not buying Meta. If Meta, you know, when they uplist and if they start to have different catalysts and stuff, hell yeah, I'll touch it. But I'm not touching over the counters. That's just my personal thing. You see the value there? Fine, go and buy it. Uh, you know, Torchlight. I saw somebody else saying, why would you buy Torchlight? They have zero revenue. Yeah, dumbass, obviously have zero revenue. They're selling their assets. Um, they're they're going to be spun off into a clean energy company. 
I don't know what to tell you. That's not news. That's that's part of the bullish thesis. That is why I bought the stock. Is that because they're selling their assets? Is because they're spinning off the company? Obviously, Torchlight has zero revenue. And I said that you know it, this. If any bad news comes out that um that that there's no merger, then we're out of it. But part of the reason that I bought was because the CEO of Meta came out a month ago and said that they have 48% of the vote for the merger. Uh, I don't know what to, like, uh, you guys have to read my DD, okay? No, Torchlight doesn't have any revenue. So no, if the merger doesn't go through, then Torchlight is only worth their assets. And, but, you know, I look at it as a pretty good sign when the, when the company they're merging with um, comes out and says that they have 48% of them vote for the other thing, based on the shareholder, uh, the based on the shareholder percentage, 25%. Okay, think about this. They have Meta, I'm talking about, has billions of, tens of billions of potential market cap. Now, I saw someone else say, okay, that's potential. Yes, but l- let, me, let, me, let me dance you through this, okay? All of Meta's technology is inside emerging markets and it's disruptive technology. What does that mean? That means that this is not technology that can, you know, if it's replicated, then they get a royalty. But this is technology, for instance, the MRI scan that will completely change the way the scan is done. So it's not going to be like, okay, one hospital here has it, one hospital here has it. This is disruptive technology. This means that when this thing's on the market, everybody's going to want it because it's disruptive technology in the healthcare field. This is MRI scans. This is billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. I think I did the numbers and I don't have them up in front of me, but inside the Atlas Discord, and it was potential 40 billion between their top, between the three countries that Meta has offices in. And Torchlight gets 25% of that. So does Torchlight get 25%? Yeah, but I'm fine with getting 25%. If, you know, Tom Brady walked up to me today and said, hey, to be my uh, ball boy, I'll give you 25% of my contract. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'll take that any day of the week. So I feel like we've, I feel like I've beaten a dead horse here. Don't chase. We talk about it. If it waterfalls up, it's not going to continue to waterfall up. Uh, you know, I, I tried to warn you guys saying that the merger is three weeks out. The merger is four weeks out. Um, but, you know, it worked out that, you know, we saw other buyers because Torchlight, on the day that it really spiked, Torchlight came out with a press release saying that they have no more debt. And so that that's awesome. So they have no more debt. And that's what just made this thing just rocket. And, uh, and you know, I still love my average. I still like the company. Like I said, any bad news, fine. We cut it for a win. Do you think you were hasty to change your price target to double digits? No. We're three weeks from the... It, dude, what? No. We're well, three no, weeks I'm from just the saying merger. at first it was $5 and it changed to 10 super fast. You know, I mean, obviously yeah, but that it wasn't through. Yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't based on the chart. That was based on Meta. If you guys you know follow Meta, Meta had come out with three different reports inside the last week, um, and, and those different reports had come out with new catalysts. For instance, that MRI scans um, by twenty twenty one. And I talk about this a lot. Is that it's oh, we're always accumulating DD. And if you're not a DD trader, you you won't understand this. And if you're a day trader, you won't understand this. But you know, I build on a thesis and then as that thesis grows, there's new information that comes in. And as that information comes in, it's like you're building your position, but you're also building your knowledge. So someone, and I said that I wasn't going to touch on this, but um, 
people have been connecting Tesla and TRCH. People have been connecting TRCH and another massive company. And, and these are real connections. Um, so, in, you know, I don't believe that any of these companies will acquire Meta because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for Meta to do that. But if they become partners with them, you know, that's huge. So, you know, like I said, we built on the DD. In the beginning, I was like, you know what? The, Meta is a great company. Or, you know, Meta has serious potential with their emerging markets and disruptive technology. And then someone, you know, someone sent me some great DD and built on the fact that, you know, they should be announcing that their MRI scan should be going, uh, you know, onto the market any day now. When that, do, when that news does come, it, it's going to rip the stock. It, it's going to rip both Meta, but I'm not touching over the counters. And it's going to rip TRCH because, you know, obviously TCRH is 25% or will be. And, uh, and the other thing is that they have human trials planned for their diabetes trial. And even though they're just going to announce a press release that they started the trial, that's going to make the stock rip too. So we started with a thesis. We built onto that thesis. We're starting to build a pretty good position. Um, but like I said, you know, I, I love my average right now. You know, I, I still love the thesis. And, everything else is just noise. You know, I'm seeing on people a lot just tagging TRCH just to get clickbait, you know, and, and that's fine, guys, but just block out the noise. You know, if you don't like it, sell it for the, we're up 100%. Sell it for the 100% win. Yeah, like, I don't know what to tell you. Sell it for the 100% win. I, I touched on it earlier in the podcast, but I remember like WTRH, before WTRH, I was read 20%. And then in a day, it ripped 700%. And I'm not comparing the two because they're, they're apples and oranges. But anything that I'm not read in before the catalyst, I feel is a win. So keep that in mind. You guys have to really read stuff. You guys have to read stuff. And if you're a day trader, you know, you can't just overnight become a swing trader. Okay, I build my positions over weeks. You know, we talked to Saham from, uh, from Caresdale, and he builds a position over the average of six weeks. And I think that it's really important that you guys, you know, everybody wants to boom, 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 boom. But, you know, slow down, slow down. That's one of the things I like about swing trading. Slow down, lay all the DD out on the table, lay out your risk. What's your risk? The deal doesn't go through. Okay. All right, fine. Uh, What's your risk? You get nothing for the special dividend. Okay. Well, you won't find that out till June, which is way after the merger. Um, So, you know, slow down, slow down, put your DD on the table, lay out a plan, if it if it hits the you know your sell target sell if it hits your buy target buy if it hits your stop stop you know and i think another another thing to kind of touch on is is solely because a lot of people did buy after listening to the podcast that may not be an atlas uh because when Hugh's saying we're up 100% from the bias, he's talking about an Atlas who went well, crazy. Well, Twitter, Twitter. Uh, and on Twitter, Twitter, he went crazy on it. Yeah, no, in, in both of them, you, yeah, you, you, went, you went nuts for like a yeah. day and a half on it. And I think that was on the 12th at like 2, it, I think it was around 220, 230, 250 maybe. And then it gapped up to, uh, you know, above 4 on uh, Tuesday when the markets opened after uh, President's Day. So... You know, it is one of those things. If you do have a higher average, um, you know, obviously this is a good if you believe in it. After all, he says, I think it's a good point to average down, especially if you manage to get in at four. Oh, yeah. Now, obviously, it's at what, like three ten. So, you know, there there are some opportunities there if you want to do that. And, you know, just 
just mind your risk and, and know that we are not financial advisors. So don't buy or sell off our recommendations. I mean, wait, that gives up that gives a really good point. Is that um, you know, guys, we talk about it, but you know, I I don't even know where to begin. You guys need to really lay out a plan. Um, you know, we, we talk about it all the time, but if this thing has gone from 160 since I tweeted it, um, tweeted my bullish thesis and, and it goes to, and it goes to, you know, three dollars, you know, does that seem like a great buy? Even though I said that it's going to five, um, you know, is that really a great buy when, when it's a month out? I mean, that's something that you guys really have to have to put into account. You know, you guys have to lay out the DD, plan something, you know, plan, plan your entries and your exits. I tweet about it all the time is that I'm building a position. So I'm building a position. I'm building a position. So I take a good chunk. uh, I take a good chunk and then I'm building a position because we expect day traders to come in and we expect the price to go up, come back down. And then it builds a new stair when it starts to consolidate and then move farther up. Yeah, and, and we're not trying to just say this shit just so it's like, oh, well, we're already in it. We already lost money. Thanks a lot, guys. It's more just because we talk about a DD of a stock and, and the price, and if he, he says the price target is is whatever he expects, I mean, look at the chart because there's – look left. I mean, just look left on the chart and just – I mean, we mentioned technicals so much, and we just don't like to get all these DMs about like, oh, well, why is this down? Why is this down? Man, I got so many questions on my Instagram. Why am I not in TRCH? I'm like, I haven't said a damn word about TRCH. You know, everyone knows how I trade. I'm in and out of things. I saw gains on it just because I saw it. But now I didn't know it dipped below like three. Or I didn't know it went back to three. I definitely would have added some more. I'm sad I didn't on Friday. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's just part of it. I mean, like, just know your strategy. And like Ripster said, Calls will not make you successful. You know, it's the magic is you. You know, if you guys just listen to the podcast and then you go and buy something, you know, you have to follow us on Twitter because Twitter's where I lay out the plan. I, you know, and, and just because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm building DD. You know, my Twitter is a journal of DD, and it's and it and so just because I'm making a connection. That's not, it's never a buy signal, but that's certainly not a buy signal because I'm putting together a connection. I tweeted, you know, stop the mergers three weeks away. Um, but what, what, what didn't help TRCH is that they got news. The news that we were expecting, they got on Tuesday. And so Tuesday we got the no debt news and it just made it go wild because that's a huge news point. And we, and it was already the weekly candle was a, the weekly candle was a solid green and uh, that always, you know, if you guys know anything about charting, is that anytime that you see a solid green candle like that, you know it's going to gap. Um, and then on top of that, we got news. So on the way up, it was, you know, on the way up, we had everything. We had news. We had a good chart. We had, you know, crazy volume. And then on the way down, what did we have? We had a bad, we had a volatile market. Plus we had some bullshit, you know, child write a seeking alpha article and slap a terrible headline on it. And then on top of that, we we had a third one. We have like a thousand people, well, a thousand bots tweeting at me, um, you know, asking asking about TRCH. And so so I think it's really important is that you guys have to have to see the bigger picture. On the way up, it had news, it had volume, it had a great chart. And it had a long weekend. A long weekend always gives FOMO. And then on the way down, you know, if you guys truly if you guys have a plan 
and you guys have a strategy, then you should be hoping it goes down. Okay. You should be hoping that TRCH goes down. And, 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 you know, I mean, someone got pissed at me inside the DMs for saying this, but you should be hoping it goes down. If not, then you don't have a strategy and you don't believe in what you're buying. So yeah, I'm going to leave it there. But on anything that you're swinging or day trading, you want it to go down. <laughs> I mean, I, this sounds crazy, but you guys always pray, let me get a dip, let me get a dip, let me get a dip. And then you get a dip and you market sell. So I'm going to leave that there. But just take some time to reflect on your strategy. If you're market selling, if you're begging for a dip and then you're market selling, you know, think about it. All right. Well, we are already like 40 plus minutes in and we haven't even done the hymns interview yet. So we do still have one more thing to talk about. Oh, no, two more things to talk about. Oh, Lord. The first one, we mentioned the algo swap last week. We are starting to see it. You know, we have started to see some tough days, you know, especially the past couple of this week, or I guess second half of it, because it's only a four-day week. And now that they are a little tough, how do we exactly handle that? How do we go about them a little better? And I think one thing we should touch on is going to be portfolio allocation. Yeah, definitely. So one thing, and I, and I purposely wanted to find the algo switch today, I mean this week, and one of the clearest signs was VCNX. And we saw this thing, what we saw on it was, we saw it you know, go crazy. I think it was like, went to like six or $7. It was up a hundred percent. And then it came down a just a little to get shorts all riled up. And then boom, they doubled it again. And they took it to, I think, like 956. Um, I remember because I was long and then I flipped short on it. And, uh, and, and so that's one of the ways that I like to play is that I'll go long on something and then intraday I'll flip short. And that helps me with my long account. Um, or the swing account because you know the swing account was down you know a good chunk on Friday, and, and Zach has touched on this. He keeps half his portfolio for swings and half his portfolio for day trades. Um, I do it a little differently. I like seventy percent of swings, but that's where you know I make my money, and I do thirty percent for intraday longs and shorts, and that helps me because I can go in heavier on the third. Like I'll I'll full send my uh, day trading account into something. So I'm getting better gains on it. I'll full send my whole account. <laughs> yeah. Plus margin. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. Yeah. That gets me better gains. Um, but I feel like I'm not losing opportunity cost. So that's the way that I kind of allocate it. I, I was going to mention, especially on opportunity cost. Yeah. I mentioned just last week that I had to trim some of my, you know, swings, some of my, lo- even some of my longer term swings because of all the action that was going on in front of me. The only day it didn't work out this week was uh was Thursday, you know, second red day of the year. But all the other three days combined was like a, a 15% or like 12, 13% week for the account. And, you know, just going in heavier for me right now is just what is just what's working on things. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, and that's kind of what we said earlier was that, you know, there's everybody and their mother is trading right now and they're full setting their account and making like 10%, 20% a day. And that's fantastic. You know, keep doing that. But could you imagine if you bought the 980 dip on a VCNX? The thing's trading at like $4 now. And so the way that I, like I said, is that 70% swings, 30% day trades. That's the way that I kind of offset the losses and the gains. And on top of that, um, you know, and that comes down to your portfolio. If you're more of a swing trader, you know, I mean, maybe do 50 50 
especially if you're like a more skilled day trader and you can tell technicals like Gary's really good at it. You know, Mullins momentum. He's really good at it. Um, you know, there, there's some really good guys out there who just make their money on day trading and setting up charts like wedge breaks, stuff like that. SD is really good. I, I feel that I'm much, you know, I make my money swing trading. I don't, I don't want to press, you know, I don't want to have 50,000 orders a day. You know, half the time I like to sit back and drink Tapo Chico. That being said, well, one of the things that, that I think is important, and we can do an entire episode about this, is implementing an intraday short strategy. Um, yeah, Vinny, cue the... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you, you, what is it? You live long enough to something... Never mind. You either... <laughs> you become the villain one of these days, somehow or another. Yeah, well... yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, I get a lot of shit for this, but, uh, and I know I will, but it's really important is that when we start to see, you know, I talked about, I talked with another great trader about this is that, you know, flipping long to short and, and I can actually, I'll, I'll print my, or I mean, I can tweet out the VCNX trade is that, you know, I've, when I saw the soaking, um, you know, I went long and then, um, and then, then I actually top ticked. And the reason I know that I hit 956 is that, cause that's where I sold and I reversed my position short. Um, and it ended up being a massive win on Friday, but I think that it's really important because if we start to see the algo switch happen and what's going to happen is, like I said, is that they're going to run it up, run it up, dump it, run it up, run it up, dump it, run it up, run it up, dump it. And then we're going to see one time where that flush comes and they're not going to run it back up. And that's a clear sign of reversal. And the cool thing about shorting is that as long as you keep your parameters, so you cut things at new high of the day and things of that nature, you can really, you can get some nice gains on it as things just, I mean, literally VCNX was red from, from 930 to the time they got to four. But uh, if you had bought after 930, like that was your average, um, you would have been red by the time that the market closed. So I just let the, I literally walked to the bank. I walked to the shop, right? You know, and I let that thing just run down and it was a massive win. So that's one thing. Okay. It's, it's just like being, it's like being a pharmacist the first half of the day and the second half of the day you're selling oxys on the street. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good guy at the start, bad guy later, but you're making profit. Both exactly. Ways. And I, if you guys, if you guys are going to, don't come into my DMs and it, because you need shorts. Okay. If I get squeezed on something, uh, you know, then you, you want me to get squeezed on something because that means I'm going to cover into the, into the ask and things like that nature. So I really only like the short. Um, like things for like a dollar, like three thirty, when nothing's happening to it and it's just grinding down. Um, but don't hate on the shorts. We love the shorts. And, uh, and so we touched on portfolio allocation that has to be based on your strategy. I keep more 70% swings, 30% day trades. Uh, I'm sure Dan keeps probably like 80 to 10. I mean, eight, eighty to ten. I, ch- I changed. I changed it up a little. Did bit. you? You know, it was. It was like thirty-five, sixty-five, and now it's like twelve, eighty-eight. So twelve swings, eighty-eight day. Yeah, I'm a. I'm. I'm tossing a little cash at the club right yeah, now. Yeah, why not? Um. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's working yeah. out. So um, the only time I've ever done you know, that, I've gotten fucked. Like I, I just can't. 
I don't know. I think it's like my mental, like my, like, like when I see BNGO go 200% and I'm like, this is not a billion dollar company. Uh, the second that it starts to red tick on me, I'm, I instantly sell. Like I I have no, there are no diamonds here for the day trades. When I know something is overvalued, there, there is no diamond hands. I actually close my eyes. I I find it better just to close my eyes and, and just, you know, press the buttons and hope for the best. And, you know, in this market, it just seems to work out really well. And, uh, yeah, no, I think give it a shot depending on, you know, how your karma's been yeah. and everything like that. Like if you help someone cross the street earlier <laughs> that day, yeah. I you can just run you out in traffic? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you don't run out in traffic, you can just go home and put 400 grand into a random stock and probably make some cash. <laughs> um, okay, so I feel like we, like we said, you know, portfolio allocation is smart, especially as you know, the market's kind of, I don't want to say in limbo right now, but right now we could start to see more volatility, which won't help the day trades. Um, and, and also inside the same token, if the market's not on steroids, then it'll be better to not have so much to day trade capital with. Um, but in the same token, you always want to, you know, have a little powder on the side and not just be all in swings just in case this market on steroids, just taking a quick breather. And all of a sudden it just goes back to running things a thousand percent a day. Um, so I think that that's, you know, I think that that's really important. Um, you know, if you guys want, you can DM me and we can talk a little more about it, but it, it, you know, you have to find your identity swing trader, day trader. What are you? Are you in the middle? Yeah. You a a tweener word to rush Limbaugh. Um, all right. I guess we have what? Two more things. You have a new swing Uh and we also have the CEO of four hymns and for hers, Andrew Dudham. So your new swing. Let's kick it off. Yeah. So my new swing, first off, because I do believe in the in the algo switch is starting to turn, you know, that's why I start paying more attention to swings and adding more to swings. Um, and so we're starting to get into like the perfect zone, five to six swings. And so this one is H Y L N. Um, so that what is that? Hangover, yo yo. Oh shit, I was no, I got it, I got it, I got it. Dude, don't you don't you don't wear your brain. I'm out. waiting. Yeah, um, give it to me. Okay, okay, it, okay. It's gonna be hide your loser. Cool, hide your loser pals. Wait, is it an N? Yeah, H Y L N. H Y L N. Oh, hide your uh, <laughs> hide your lactose neighbors. Hide your lactose neighbors. Oh, the milkman's coming. <laughs> hide your lactose neighbors. Sorry to our lactose uh-huh. uh, neighbors. Listeners, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a few reasons I like this one. One, I feel like we need something with a catalyst soon because, you know, I'm starting, you know, I'm waiting for news on these swings and I need something. Um, HYLN actually has earnings report on Tuesday. Now, they already, we already, they put out um, expectations for their earnings reports. So I don't think that the earnings report will be anything crazy. Um, or I mean, or, I mean, when I say that, I don't think that the earnings report will be a surprise. So I don't think it will, it will go one way or the other. But what I'm looking for inside that earnings report is them to give forward. And this is why I'm not waiting till after um, earnings report to buy is that I'm waiting for them to release a forward looking statement. And inside that forward looking statement, it should give an update on business operations and what they're really trying to do. Now you're going to say to me, Hugh, why do I care about that? Well, Guess who just tried to hire a lawyer for commercial contracts? That's right, H Y L N. And 
for anyone that doesn't know anything about HYLN, what they do is, is that kind of like we interviewed the e-lightning motor CEO, they kind of do some something of the similar, meaning that they take non-EV commercial vehicles and they turn them into commercial vehicles. The CEO has gone on Bloomberg multiple times saying that they have been working on multiple contracts, but I feel like by them hiring this lawyer, this means that they have something serious in the works. They've talked about that they, uh, you know, there's been a rumor floating around that they are going to completely transition all of Walmart's buses, um, you know, and all their commercial vehicles. Uh, that would just be massive. This stock was trading at, hold please, HYLN. Um, yeah, so it was down on Friday about 4%. Something that I'm looking at, and shout out to TrendSpider for, uh, TrendSpider posted this chart, and that's what got me interested, um, interested inside this chart. And so when I look at the chart, this thing had support at 15, and it was trading at, get this, this thing was trading at $58 a share. So this could potentially triple from here. Um, and no, nothing has changed since it's been $58 a share. It's just gone down with the EV hype and all that, all the EV and all the SPAC hype. Um, it's, it's just, I mean, it's effectively gone down from $58 a share. Uh, it, it, it created pretty good support at 15. And now it's trying to break to the upside of uh, 18 and 22. So it was, So really right now it's creating good support at 18. Um, the next break would be 22 and 27. So to give you guys, uh, for instance, okay, I'll have a starter on. And then when it breaks that 22 resistance, um, that's when I'll add an additional 20%. Um, so then I'll be at about 50% of what I want to be at as far as the position. So right now I want to see it hold the 18 support. Okay. And then I want to see it break 22. When it breaks 22, I'll add in more to my position. And then we're looking for the 27. If it breaks 27, oh man, then we have, then, then we have almost no resistance to 50. And I think that it's going to be really important is that part of the thing that goes into the swings is the chart. And this chart is primed. They have capital. They're trying to hire a commercial lawyer right now, which tells me that they have something in the works. Um, you know, there's been rumors floating around. I'll tweet some DD, maybe, uh, maybe like 10 PM tonight. I'll tweet some DD, um, and, uh, and show you guys the connections I'm talking about. But what I like the chart number two, I like the Tuesday catalyst. If they mention that um that they are in talks with somebody then i mean this this thing will go nuts and uh and i like what they're doing they're hiring a lawyer any any time i've ever had to hire a lawyer it wasn't like <laughs> good like good news for well, me well this one's for this one says commercial contracting so ah uh, okay yeah mine were uh defense attorneys <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is is that all for HYLN? Yeah, so HYL, I, I feel like I missed something. I, I definitely feel like I missed something, but uh, let me see. The chart, like I said, it's primed. I want to see it hold 18. Once it gets overneath that like that resistance point, I'll add in. Um, what do you call it? I like the Tuesday. If it dips on the earnings report, which I don't think it will because everyone knows what the earnings report will be. Um, and they give a, f- then I'm buying that dip because I believe that they will in sometime soon release a contract contract that, um, 
release a contract about this commercial lawyer or something like that. You know, one of the things that we talked about was, has anything changed on your swing? Has the business model changed anything of that nature? And I mean, this thing is basically just grinded down from 58 because the sector has been slow. So, I mean, you know, that that's how I look at it is that, you know, if people were buying this thing at 50, you know, they should be buying this thing at 22, but they're not because again, they probably wanted a dip and the thing just probably kept going down. So now I'm going to come in, scoop it up and, you know, wait for a contract. And the other thing that I like is, and shout out to TrendSpider for teaching me this as well, is that based on the chart, the chart has had super low volume um, on the monthly candles. And now, um, even though it's only the third week of the, or I think it, we're coming up on the fourth week of the year, the monthly chart and the monthly candle has more volume than the last two months combined. And that's a clear sign of reversal. So what I'm going to kind of attribute this to is kind of like Fubo. Fubo hit almost like Fubo was in the fifties. And then, um, you know, it just grinded down because of that short report. That wasn't really a short report. And, uh, and then we saw huge volume. We got in at 23 and now it's effectively doubled. So with this thing, same thing, it's at support. I want to see it get over resistance. I'll scale in, and then let's get some news, baby. And uh, and let's get, you know, let's get another multi-bagger. But with that being said, make sure to look at the chart, everyone, before you buy this stock. Yeah, if this thing's at 40, if this thing's at 40 on Monday, <laughs> please don't buy it. I mean, unless you, I mean, unless yeah. you have a plan, I'm just saying, you know, make sure that you have a plan. But if you're like, ah, oh, Q likes HYLN, uh, if it's doubled, <laughs> you know, think about it. With that being said, now we have on CEO of For Hims and For Hers, Andrew Duddham. And just because we interview a stock does not mean we are bearish, bullish, or have a position on it. So do not bitch at us. Enjoy. All right. And today we have on Andrew Duddham, CEO of Hims and Hers, which recently went public through a SPAC. So congratulations on that. And thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, so I guess we can kind of start off with you obviously have a knack for entrepreneurship from founding hymns and hers to co-founding companies like Terminal and Bungalow and even your own venture builder, Atomic. How did you find this passion and where did you kind of get the inspiration for some of these ideas? Yeah, you know, I, I've been building companies probably for about 15 or 16 years. And, and I think I really fell into it as a result of figuring out stuff I didn't like doing. To be honest, I was I was in college out in Philly. I was undergrad Penn, um, and I was sitting in a whole bunch of corporate finance classes with a whole bunch of of kids that knew they wanted to work at Goldman, knew they wanted to move to New York, and I just really adamantly felt like I didn't want to be a part of that at all. Like I I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't love it. So at that time, I think you know in my kind of late teens, early twenties, it was all about figuring out you know if I'm not going to go on this structured path. What path can I go on? And and I think fell in love with this idea of just controlling your own destiny and building things that you had a knack for. Uh, and my passion just kind of led to that. So over the last 13, 14 years, you know, I've had the privilege of you know raising a big fund with Peter Thiel and Mark Andreessen, where we build businesses every year. That atomic fund has built probably a dozen companies. Um, and those are all ideas that we as partnerships have just kind of had for ourselves. So, you know, the idea that it should be easy to build technology. So we went and partnered with engineers across the world for Terminal to make them, you know, accessible to our teams in San Francisco. The idea that you should be able to live 
with friends and family easily. So we created Bungalow for a co-living company, um, even with hims and hers, right? The ability to like access healthcare from the comfort of your phone. You pick up your phone, no matter who you are, you get the best healthcare. It's just, it all kind of derives from things we believed in um, and had passion for. And I think for entrepreneurship in general, you know, if you don't love it and you don't believe in it yourself, you just won't last, right? It's like, because these building these companies are really hard. They take 10, 15, 20 years. So you have to have it be something at the core that you really want to have in the, in the world. Yeah, I, I think with that being said, it's kind of like you you have to have a lot of conviction in your idea. And we talk about having conviction in, in your trades a lot. How many, yeah. how many times did you were, were you like, this shit just may not be for me? Yeah, yeah. maybe every like three to four months, probably <laughs> last 15 years. You know, I mean, it's it's you wake up and you're exhausted and. And I think, you know, with a lot of companies, people believe it's like an overnight success, right? Like they look at something like Hims and they see, you know, the company's three years old. It went from zero to, you know, $4 billion market cap public company in like 36 months. And it's like, wow, that was really easy. But in reality, you know, nothing is linear and everything is crashing and then everything, <clears throat> everything is taking step functions and then crashing and step functions and crashing and step functions. So as an entrepreneur, you have this crazy emotional roller coaster. The entire time that you're smiling, you know, to the outside world, and and so I think you either have to get really good at that and realize that that just comes with it, or you're just you just won't last in the game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you brought up how fast you guys have really, um, you know, seen this huge growth. Um, does that play into the reason that you guys decide to go the SPAC route? And um, you know, obviously, we've seen so many SPACs, um, you know. Uh, it really just, you know, we're seeing like 3000%, um, you know, of the amount of SPACs and yep. last year and, you know, five years, even, even more insane. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you chose to go this back route? Yeah. You know, I think, um, it was, it was honestly a pretty simple and straightforward question, which was, you know, we as a company felt ready to go public. We'd gotten to the point that, you know, the infrastructure was there. The team was there. We thought the street was going to love the story um, for a lot of reasons. And then it was a simple equation of what's the most efficient and affordable way to go public. And, and I think no surprise that a lot of founders like me and others are looking at the traditional IPO process and saying, you know, this doesn't make any sense, right? It's, it's a process that was built 10, 15 years ago. It's a process that takes a year to 18 months of distraction time for your management team, right? It's like this really laborious process. Um, it's a process that has built-in crazy costs. Like if you think about the fact that most IPOs are, you know, popping 50% on their opening trading day or popping 100%, that's like the most expensive marketing a founder could ever have, right? That's that just means they price the deal wrong. And the bankers are all happy because it makes them look like geniuses. But but for us as operators, it means we got diluted a tremendous amount for no reason. So the historical traditional IPO process is expensive and it's and it's really time consuming. And so I think what founders are doing, and specifically, you know, what I did was let's look at all the different structures. Let's look at a direct listing, let's look at a SPAC structure. And I think ultimately with the SPAC, what we liked was you know, very short. Uh, time from start to market, which meant that my management team wasn't going to be distracted for a year, you know, worried about this IPO process. They could get back to the business quickly. Um, second, 
you could price the deal, I think, in a way more efficient manner, right? Because in, in the SPAC process, you literally get public market investors like Franklin Templeton in the conversation on day zero with us and say, hey, what should this company be valued at in the public markets? And whatever you think it is, you're going to buy into it at that price and commit to it right now, right? Like that type of conviction and pricing is way different than what happens in the traditional IPO, where it's like the last day after an 18 month process, they decide to like pick the price and then it goes, right? So I think the efficiency of it from a timing standpoint, the affordability, I think, from a pricing standpoint. And then I also think it's just, you know, there's a great opportunity, assuming you work with a great team to bring unique brains around the table. I mean, we were able to get Howard Marks and his organization around the hims and hers management team through this process of going public. That's one of the smartest investment teams in the country, in the world. Um, and so you know, I've always seen the benefit of, of bringing the best brains to our board and to our, our to our leadership. And I think in the SPAC world, you get this unique opportunity to, to really align uh, a new team, a new institutional fund, a new investor, uh, alongside you and your organization. So I thought that was a really big advantage too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think my one follow-up question is that part of the reason that it really takes so long to IPO is because of, you know, obviously the prospectus and, and certain things that with a spec, you don't really have um, to do. And especially because you guys are so new to the market, what would you say to the people that criticize SPACs for the exact reason that you wanted to go SPAC, um, that, you know, that it is a faster process um, you, you know, uh, the biggest criticism is that it is a fast process and therefore can be overlooked some of the business model. And it's not the same, um, you know, listing requirements. Yeah, well, first of all, it is the same listing requirements, right? So everything actually from a regulatory standpoint has to be filed through an S1 and an S4, which, it, which look almost identical if you take a look at them. So the SEC actually does go through every single filing. You still need audited financials at SEC standards. You still need all of that prospectus work. Um, and so f- the first thing I would say is that's, that's wrong. Um, having just gone through it, I know because I was on the phone with, with lawyers for six months straight, you know, writing it. Um, I do think there is fair criticism, though, which is, you know, with this filter and process being shorter, you know, you're going to get companies through the door that maybe shouldn't be going public. Right. And I think we've seen that in a lot of situations. And I actually think we've seen some pub- companies that that almost, you know, explicitly should not have been public and now are facing those consequences in the pro- in the public markets. Um, and I think that is a re- reality of a um, of a more accessible public markets, but I don't think that's necessarily a problem with a structure, right? That's just a problem with the quality of companies that are actually choosing to go out. The structure is what it is, right? You should be able to take a company public, and the public markets should be able to say that's a shitty company, and I'm not going to invest in it, and then they're going to pay the price. Um, I don't think process should be what determines what can get into the markets or not. I think the investors should determine how they perform. And I think that's ultimately happening. And I think with SPACs, you will see companies that take advantage of it that shouldn't be public and they're going to pay the price, right? Because at the end of the day, all it is is a structure. And at the at the end of that structure, you're a public company and you better hit earnings and you better hit your, your projections or else you're gonna you're gonna you know really struggle. Okay, so well, now that you are public, crit- criticized or not, I, you know, you go public. I don't care. You can leave that question for him. But you got a little major influx of cash. Uh, 
And, and I think you've mentioned that you want to continue investing in growth and new product categories. Could you kind of give us any info on these categories and where you think uh, that money will kind of be going towards? Yeah, you know, I think the the really powerful part of the Hims and her story is you have, um, you know, a team that for the last 15 years, it's just in our DNA of innovation and testing and going to market. And then you have this healthcare system that is a $4 trillion market that essentially hasn't been touched by technology or innovation in like 60 years, right? Like when you go to the doctor, you, you schedule appointment three weeks out, you wait in line for an hour and a half, you then go to the pharmacy. It's like this terrible experience that's not technology enabled at all. And so I see hims and hers as this massive innovation machine to go and disrupt healthcare. And you're in the beginning innings of what will be the next 10 to 20 years of that disruption. But from a capital standpoint, you know, how I see this is this opportunity to build a brand, Tim's and hers, that people know and trust and has irreverence and, you know, authenticity and fun in it that encourages people to go get healthy. And then underneath that brand, <clears throat> you have 10 or 15 different specialties for things people care about to help take care of them. Right now, we have primary care, we have sexual health, we have dermatology, we have hair loss, we have anxiety and depression. I think new things that people really care about, especially the young people that we we really focus on, are things like sleep, infertility, um, things like uh, hypertension. Everyone is getting high cholesterol in their early 30s, and they're trying to figure out how the hell to take care of that. Um, weight loss is a massive one. Pre-diabetes is a massive one. So I think you've got this really, you know, really fun and energizing situation where we're just going to go one by one, a couple new categories a year for the next 10 years and, and specialize experiences for those people and broaden what people can get access to on the Hems and Hers platform. Uh, and another thing is, you know, obviously COVID affected so many companies in different ways. Yeah. How is that for, how is that for telehealth and specifically uh, for, for y'all? Yeah. You know, for telehealth, it was massive, right? Like, there was probably 10 years of learning about what telemedicine was that took place in like six months. Um, you know, in 2019, I think it was less than like 5% had ever of people had ever tried a telemedicine experience. And by the end of 2020, it was upwards of 80% of people, right? So this huge tailwind that was already happening just got accelerated because of, because of the virus, which I think just taught people the benefits of telemedicine. And it's the type of thing that like once you experience picking up your phone, clicking a button, talking to a yeah. doctor from the comfort of your home, like having meds delivered to your door the next day, you're not. I think running another to go thing back with that hospital. is is just how well do you, like telehealth. It kind of started with, I guess, the comfort or not comfort of going to a doctor for I think like ED or just things that may have been a little more embarrassing. Is that kind of how it? you know, started is just like the comfort and security of just being able to just do it through that. Totally. Totally. I mean, when you talk to people about why they don't get access to healthcare, stigma and comfort and cost are pretty much the three reasons, right? You ask people who are, you know, like 25% of millennials um, during the, during COVID considered suicide, right? That's like a tr crazy stat, right? It means that anxiety and depression are through the roof with millennials. But if you then ask them why they aren't going and talking to a doctor, most of them will tell you because they're kind of embarrassed to say they're struggling, right? They're embarrassed to talk about it. And so stigma um, is a massive barrier to health. Health cost 
is a massive barrier. I mean, it costs so much money to go see a psychiatrist or dermatologist that most people just say, forget it. Um, And so I think telemedicine can really solve those two things. It can let people talk to doctors through texting, right? Or through a video, um, which is way easier than talking to people in person. Um, And it's way more affordable, right? Because instead of all of the costs of these big hospital systems, you know, that are just sitting there with property tax and expenses that then need to be passed down and amortized to the patient. We just have doctors around the country sitting in their living rooms at their homes without cost. Yeah, so whenever I go get my Adderall refilled every three months, man, I hate talking to my doctor. He is the worst guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I get it. And I think a lot of people just completely choose, especially young people, choose not to ever go in. Um, and so ultimately, they don't have a relationship with the healthcare system. So I think that's really the opportunity with hims and hers is you're building what I think is the, the relationship with the health system for the future generation. And I think that's why when you look at the brand, it doesn't look like a healthcare system brand, right? It's It looks like a consumer brand that people love because we felt that if you need to energize this population to go get care, you have to build something that they love and that they want to actually engage with. Yeah, definitely. You touched on it, but um, you know, this was a rather large deal. I think I think the entire deal with the SPAC was 1.5 billion, or uh, uh, I I think or 1.6 billion. Um, do you really feel like this is just the beginning for him and hers as far as market cap? And um, and, and can you kind of touch on where you see him and hers going within the next five to ten years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I. I I firmly believe I'm 32, right? And and I'm going to be running this company for a really long time. I believe we're, you know, in the first batter of the first inning of like a 17 inning baseball game, essentially with hims and hers, right? Like all of healthcare in the next five to 10 years is going to go through a system like hims and hers. It's going to transition over where people are going to start through hims and hers and then get navigated towards the appropriate place they need to get care. That's a $4 trillion market, right? So there, in my opinion, will be 10 or 20 companies in the next five and 10 years that could be worth 20, 30, $40 billion. Like I just, I, it's the math is just very simple. And so I think this is the earliest inning. Um, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see us continue to expand into new conditions. You'll continue to expand into more growth so people know about the brand and know about the business. And I think from the customers that have come, we've powered, if you think about this math, it's kind of crazy. We've powered close to 3 million telemedicine visits in the last couple of years. Um, it took Teladoc, which is now, you guys you guys track this stuff all day, Teladoc I think is a $40 billion company. Um, it took Teladoc 13 years for them to power 1 million medical visits on their platform. We did at Hims and Hers 1 million medical visits in the first 12 months of operation, right? So the, the scale and speed of um, uh, acceptance within the younger community of a brand like Hims and Hers and an experience like Hims and Hers to get access to healthcare is unlike anything that I think is seen in healthcare. So as that population ages in the next five and 10 years, and as more people see the benefits, I think you're in a position where... Um, you know, this brand and this business could be one that touched the majority of patients and families in this country. Yeah, definitely. And, and so, you know, you just touched on it, um, you know, about how big this really could be. 
touch on like the deal side of things. How many SPACs did you guys negotiate with and how many didn't, or, you know, how many weren't interested and why do you think that was? Yeah, to be honest, we, um, we, for a period of maybe three or four months, you know, had probably 20 SPAC teams reach out to us. Um, we never, we never actually shopped the deal just being super transparent. Um, we internally with our board and we've got a great team. It's, you know, uh, founders one and Peter Thiel and Kirsten Green at Forerunner and Josh Kushner at Thrive and IVP and Ron Conway and like just great people just were debating internally. Do we want to go through the SPAC route or do we want to do a traditional IPO route? And I think when we felt that the structure of the SPAC made sense, we just looked at all the teams that had come through the door. Um, because as you know, there's an oversupply of SPAC capital and there's only so many good companies to actually take public right now. So everybody's reaching out to you at all times, trying to, trying to get, get in the door. We looked at them and I think we, um, got to know a few teams and ultimately actually relatively quickly felt that the Oak Tree team and Howard Marks team was, um, on kind of a level of its own and decided to, to work with them. So we actually didn't shop the deal. Um, we never pitched to SPACs, uh, any of them. Uh, we, we ultimately decided to work with one team and then we figured out what, what was a fair price in the market and, and went forward with them. Awesome. So one thing you, you also just mentioned how you expect the growth mainly, or one of the bigger reasons is because of your, the, the younger generation, how much they, they trust you. And I think one of the coolest things about y'all is your, the way you've advertised over all this time, just from at the start, you were essentially just giving product away. And then you had the like the subway ad for hair loss and ED meds. And then also all the podcasts. Like I, I hear about you guys all the time just listening to other podcasts. And I mean, just is is your marketing team just amazing or is that is this you? What what is this? I think it's just, you know, we um we think really simply, which is we literally think everybody from 15 to 35 would be a happy like ambassador of hims and hers. Like if they used it, which they all should use because we have something for everybody, like everybody in that demographic suffers from either ED, hair loss, acne, anti-aging issues sleep issues, anxiety or depression issues. Like statistically, we know that everyone suffers. I think I'm, I think I'm hitting like three out of five of those. Right. We can, like, we can everyone, talk later. Exactly. Like everyone's hitting a few of them. So whenever people tell me like, oh, I don't, you know, I haven't used the product yet because they're kind of embarrassed. I'm like, you know, <laughs> you should. Like I'm, I'm sure there's something that could benefit you. We just believe that that demographic really needs this. And so we think really simply, which is from a marketing standpoint, where is our customer base spending 30 seconds of uninterrupted time focused? And then we want to be in those places. So you think about, okay, they're taking the subway and they're sitting there for a minute waiting for the train to get there. We want to be all over the subway. They're listening to the podcast while they're sitting on the train. We want to be there. Uh, we did a whole bunch of work in urinals. I mean, this might sound crazy, <laughs> but like if you ever came to San Francisco or some of the stadiums, all of the bathrooms in front of every urinal was hymns ads. Um, and it was like, where is a guy waiting for 20 seconds, entirely focused, you know, in front of him and incentivized not to look left or right. And a urinal is a perfect 
place, right? So we've had right front like now, <laughs> right? So I think we just have a marketing team that's that thinks, I think, in a first principle manner, where can we create ads and create inventory for marketing for where our customers are spending time? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I thought I've always thought uh, just the. The, the companies that are transitioning to this new age of marketing uh, are going to be super successful yeah. a lot faster. And I mean, you're, you're killing it, man. Uh, so another thing, this, this is hot topic. Um, Robinhood, you guys went public and they blocked you like yeah. three days after. How pissed were you? <laughs> yeah, I was pretty pissed, to be honest. You know, I think... I think what upset me most was, um, you know, you had really big funds at that point buying into hymns, right? I think there had been disclosures, I think just a couple of days before where, you know, Kathy Wood and Ark, uh, right, a great fund, a great team, you know, had, had made a, a big position in hymns. And then that had been disclosed. And all of a sudden, the retail investors, like normal people, my siblings, my friends were reading that. And being like, oh, that's really exciting. I want to go buy into hymns, right? I want to get access to that too. And I think that's the be- that has historically been the beautiful thing about Robinhood is the access and the democratization of the markets for the average person. And I think in that moment, it just felt so wrong that large funds could buy the stock. They could call City, they could call Goldman, they could call JP Morgan, whoever it is, and, and buy it on the sales table. But then the average person couldn't. And I had uh, friends and family and I had people tweeting at me and being like, what the hell is going on? And, and so I think that's really what upset me most was um, it, was a, it was a sign that when you know, things get unsteady, the people who usually lose out are the average person. And the big funds with the big money and who can pick up the phone and call Goldman, they're fine and they can keep buying. Um, and I think that really pissed me off, to be honest. I think, you know, from a, from a company stock standpoint, do I think it matters? Probably not in the long term, right? I, as I've kind of talked about, like I look at this business on a 10, 20 year basis, like one week of trading dynamics with Robinhood doesn't matter. But I think as a human, it really pissed me off that uh, my company was one of the companies where you saw that disenfranchisement happen because of frankly, you know, incompetence and lack of planning. Yeah, it's honestly like you guys are being lumped in with the meme stocks or whatever. Right. And that like wasn't the case at all. Right. Totally. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all delete Robin Hood gang here too. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I've got a couple more and then I've got a cool pitch for you. Okay. So awesome. you work with Alex Rodriguez and, and Jayla. Yeah. How awesome is that? That cool? It's cool. They're good people. Yeah, they're good people. I think uh, uh, my wife cracks up because I, I think I FaceTime with Alex more than I FaceTime with her. So uh, he's a good guy. Jennifer is a sweetheart. So we've we've really gotten to know them. They're they're good good friends of ours. Um, and it's been you know they they just like the thing about them is they actually have a very direct and emotionally clear tie to where they came from like it is it is who they are still to this day and so with him or her is like the business is all about access you know it's all about like anybody in the country should get great care get access to great care and should be really affordable and they have you know populations that that are in their communities that don't have any money 
and don't speak English, right? And don't have any access. And so I think they feel like the brand within them a lot. And I think that's really rewarding to work with um, and rewarding to partner with them because you just you, you just know it's really authentic when it comes from those two. Yeah, I've, I've, one of my favorite things that uh, of Alex Rodriguez is the one the podcast he has with Big Cat and he, the yeah. episode with Kobe Bryant. That's awesome. I love. Yeah, that. it's awesome. Yeah, I think Alex is like you know really um, built a lot of respect in the last five ten years. You know, with regard to the authenticity he has, how honest he is about just way bigger than an athlete. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? He's done a great job as a businessman. I think he's really proven it um, that he can that he can make big moves, and he and he and people should watch what he does. Yeah. Okay. So very Zuckerberg esque. You created your own little social network back during your time at UPenn, correct? <laughs> I did. What was this idea? How that? How did that turn out? I did. Wow. I'm, I'm, I don't even know how you found that. Hey, um, yes, finally. I've been I've been waiting for that response from someone I've interviewed is, is to be like, credit to our intern. Yeah, whoever your intern is, I, nobody has ever asked me that question. So I was the um I was the social chair of my fraternity um for a couple of years at Penn. And so my job was to make sure our parties were the best parties on campus. And so the the social network I created was uh for people on campus to sign and subscribe to different groups, different like clubs or different fraternities or sororities so that you can get real-time text message notifications of different events going on live uh, oh, on campus yeah. uh, to try to drive traffic. And you would charge people, it was like something like 10 cents uh, for each message that you'd send for an event that was live. So it was, uh, it was a way to hack, you know, this, this social dynamics in college. But instead, we got Yik Yak. <laughs> but instead, we got Yik Yak. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. I know. I love the idea. I mean, I think like all there's so many people that just, I mean, there's so many ideas for like the social network in college and then add, totally. just yeah, adding parties to it and you're done. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur and you're in college and you're not building something relating to like, Drinking. you know, relationships or parties or drinking. I mean, even like, you know, with, with Zuck, right. It, like what Facebook was in the early days, it all kind of stems from somewhere. Yeah. No. Uh, okay. So you, you have tons of podcast ads everywhere. You ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for this one? This one? Yeah. Hit me. Hit me. <clears throat> Want a permanent boner candle? Get hymns. Hims not only will gap up your sex life, but your account too. Hims is the edge you need to break that downtrend you have been on in the bedroom. Get Hims and start banking in the after hours. <laughs> good? You like that? That's good. Dude, that was good. That was pretty good. That was good. Did the intern write that or did you write that? Uh, that was actually Tommy Cooperman of Breathe Carolina. Uh, he's a musician. <laughs> I, I told him I was interviewing you and he's like, yo, pitch him this. So yeah, shout you, out him for that one. Yeah. Dan, text me that later. I'll send it to the marketing team this afternoon. <laughs> all right. For sure, man. Well, that's all we have. Unless you has anything left. Uh, yeah. But you got some? Yeah. You, oh, yeah just so we talked about it a little bit, but, um, oh, am I lagging? No, no. You're good. Am I good? You're good. Am I good? You know, this has been a lot of fun. And I think, um, you know, one of the questions I forgot to ask earlier was, you know, you guys have, I think your revenue is up 70% inside the year to year, which is awesome. That's incredible growth. 
Um, you know, do you guys have a timeline for being profitable and becoming profitable? Because I think like, you know, that's kind of the, ne- at least from, you know, in my view, the next step to becoming, you know, a real, you know, a, a real market interrupter and a real, um, you know, just, I think that's the next big step. So do you guys yeah. kind of have a timeline for when you become, when you want to become profitable? Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at the financials, the company, as you said, has had a pretty, um, it's had like a really unique combination of trends. You have revenue growing, you know, 100% in the last couple of years, growing 70% last year, whatever it might have been. I think Q3 of last year was 100% year over year growth. But then if you look at the gross margin profile, it's gone up, you know, almost, I think it's 76% gross margins last quarter. Right. So, so it's inherently a really profitable business just because the efficiency of the business and the recurring nature of the subscriptions, almost everybody that pays him and hers, it's like 90% of our revenue is recurring subscriptions. So you have really nice dynamics there. So from a profitability standpoint, you know, we actually, um, and if you look at the quarterlies, you'll see that, you know, quarter last year, the company was, was nearly, if not EBITDA positive. Right. And so it, it's actually right yeah. now, totally in our power to be profitable right now. Um, and I think we sh- we show that in the historicals. I think the question then becomes, should you be profitable right now? Right? Like if you're in an industry that is in the beginning of 10, 15 years of growth, and there's 10 other categories we should be looking at because people are also struck- struggling with, you know, sleep and infertility and weight loss, you know, should you be driving that cash or should you be reinvesting those dollars back into you know, new new expansion. And I and I think for for me, my opinion is at this point, you want to reinvest it in that growth. Um, you want to show the street consistently that if you need to, you can pull a lever and be profitable. Because nobody wants to invest in a high-flying asset that is just lighting money on fire, you know, that has no scalability in that model. So I think the the balance that I want to show is, you know, show to the market that. The unit economics are are like sound and incredibly based in fundamentals. And if we want to show profitability in a year, we'll do it and we can show it. But does that mean then for the next five years, we should be driving cash flow? I don't think so. I think there's so much opportunity here to keep that, that, that revenue growth at really high paces for the next three, four, five years that you actually want to invest there. So um, I don't know. That's maybe like a half-ass way to answer your question, but it's just more color as to how I think about it. Which yeah. is I want to I want to show the market consistently that we have that profitability lever in our pocket the day we want to use it, um, but I'm not sure if that day to use it is right now. Yeah, definitely. I like how you call it the street. Yeah, <laughs> simple. Power move. All right, man. Uh, well, we've had a blast. Hope you have to. Um, any anything else you need to to pitch the people before? before no, no, you guys do a great job. I've I've had a lot of fun uh, listening to you guys in the last few months. So it's it's awesome to get on here. And thanks for having me on. And keep up what you guys are doing. It's been it's been really great. So I'm uh, I'm excited for you guys too. Hey, All right, thank thanks, you, man. man. Hey, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, take care. Wow, what an interesting guy. I mean, he's really just been an entrepreneur all his life. And the, the growth that Hens has had, you know, that's really incredible. And it really seems like they're trying to do something unique. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know much about like the the financials or fundamentals of the company aside from like, but what they do, like I hear about them on all podcasts. I mean, I don't know people specifically that use it because I don't talk to my friends about like who takes boner pills. <laughs> but like, I, you know, I imagine like a lot do. And I think telehealth is actually like a super cool sector that's going to pick up a lot, especially like with all the, if coronavirus has another, because I mean, like that, a lot of people were doing telehealth during like the first few months of coronavirus, which is fucking yeah. awesome. Not having to go to the doctor. Yeah, I like that too. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Pennies Going In Raw. If you guys enjoy our content, please, 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 please go to the bottom and give us a five-star review. We love to read all our, our reviews. Um, you know, Dan and I, we probably send how many reviews a week? Probably five to each other every every day. You know, maybe 15 a week. We love, 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 love listening and reading the reviews. And uh, that's going to wrap it up. This Wednesday, we have an awesome episode with a really great trader. And we're really excited for this one. Um, he has a scan that he puts out. So check that out. And, uh, and we'll see you Wednesday.